three years ago, I think roughly three years ago, uh, me and my wife were in Texas, and uh, I was raising money. We were in Midland, Texas, deep west Texas. Tumbleweeds really do exist, okay? That's where they all come from. And so we're out there raising money really for this church plant, okay? Um, But we didn't know where the church plant was going to be. I didn't know it was going to be in Knoxville. We didn't know when we were going to plant. We didn't know who was going to go with us. We didn't know if anyone was going to go with us. It was one of those seasons in life where you have a tremendous amount of questions. I mean, I'm questioning everything. What is God doing? When is God doing? Why is God doing? Just one of those things where you feel like you're groping in the dark more than typical. A lot of praying, me and my wife, in that season. A lot of fasting. A lot of us just kind of gripping back and forth with when and where and how is this all going to look. One day I had a big span in between meetings, um, like four or five hours. So I went out to this track, local high school track. I grew up in this town. Um, and I just wanted to run laps. I just wanted to do NASCAR style. I wanted to turn my brain off to traffic and people and just be alone and just run in circles and really just dump my guts out to God, really pray and just kind of cry out to Him. Why are you doing things this way? How can it happen this way? I don't understand. Why would you do it this way, Lord? When are you going to show us? When are you going to make things clear? We need to know, God. We need to know now. One of those. I mean, everyone in here has had moments like that. This was one of those moments for me. Really fighting. Really wrestling through this. That night, we had dinner with a great, beautiful couple um, that they, they actually helped support this church plant. And we had dinner with them and afterward they said Luke you know what you guys should do you should come with us there's a special ministry event you guys would really be blessed sounds great doesn't it what I didn't tell you this is the most charismatic couple I've ever met in my life I mean hyper charismatic I mean at any moment something could happen you could not predict what was going to happen Okay. so instantly a little alarm goes off what, okay, what event? But they were just not going to tell us. I mean, it was, they were just going to keep it as, as mysterious as possible, which just grades on me, right? So they talk us into it. They say, you're going to have to follow us there. So we're following him. I'm needing more information immediately. So I call him on the phone. I'm following him. Okay, hey, yeah, 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 we're still behind you. Where, where are we going exactly? Well, we're going to so-and-so's living room. There's so-and-so's house is having this event in their living room. I said, and so now I've got more alarms going off, okay? Because when it's smaller like that, sometimes I felt it could get a little weirder a lot faster, right? I said, so what's going on? Well, we have a special guest that's going to address us all and tell us what the Lord wants us to hear. Now I've got more alarms going off, okay? And I said, well, who is this? Her name is Coco, the prophetess. We flew her in. She's not from this area. We flew her in, and she's going to speak to you. Now, every alarm in my body is going off. There is no alarm that is not going off at this point. I'm wanting to U-turn. I'm looking for U-turns. I'm looking for ways to get out of this. I'm freaking out inside. You know, I'm just totally, I'm dying inside. My wife talks me away from the ledge. We should go check it out. Immediately in my heart, I start mocking it. I start already predicting how it's going to go down. Coco, whoever Coco is, you know. Sure, she's validated and credible. So anyway, I mean, I'm already just kind of starting to mock the whole situation. We walk into this living room. Sure enough, 15 people there, right? As many as you can cram in a living room. I sit in the back. We're on like row two. (laughs) And uh, she gets up. Real sweet lady. She addresses everybody. Then she immediately spins around to me first and says, I have a word of God for you. 
And I'm thinking, I bet you do. <laughs> let me have it. Just let me have it. And of course, I didn't say that. You know, I'm not rude. But so she says, you've been asking God a lot of deep questions lately, like whys and hows. And how are things going to happen? And really dumping your heart out. In fact, I see, it's, it's weird, so forgive me, I see you like running in circles. Like around a track. This just happened this day. This just happened. This is a secluded track. You can't even see my car there. She just flew in. She doesn't even know where this high school's at. No one even knew I was there. I never even told anyone there. I didn't even think my wife knew until we left. So she says, I see you running around in circles. I don't know what that means. Maybe you do. But I see you just dumping your heart out. Just really crying out to God. So by the time she gets this far, the blood is draining out of my face. You know, you can only imagine. It was one of those moments where I felt like I needed to square my shoulders because God was addressing me. And I'm not a mystical person. She said this, God wants you to know that everything will be taken care of. That your situation won't look like everybody else's. It will be a little unique. It will be a little different. But God is taking care of the details and He will take care of you. So just be comfortable in the fact that your answers will come sooner than later and you will be comfortable within them. So... We left that night, I'm looking like a donkey in front of my wife, you know, because I totally bad-mouthed it all the way out there, you know. I was greatly encouraged. I was built up. I was ministered to. Only half because of what she said, the other half because she said anything. Do you ever feel like just being heard, just having that, that knowledge that you have been heard is such a huge ministry? That's what it was for me. When it comes to spiritual gifts... There have been times where I've been greatly refreshed and encouraged. When it comes to spiritual gifts, I've seen a lot of abuse. I've been sad, confused, angry, unsure of what's going on. You know, sometimes God will really do something beautiful in a person by anointing them beyond their ability to bless somebody else. And it draws glory to God and His gospel. And sometimes it can be very abused. And it cannot just point to Jesus and his story, but it can point to the person in their story. What do we do when good things are abused? What do we do when good things get out of order as a church, as a people? I mean, do you have a spiritual gift? Do you know what it is? Do you know how to use it? Do you know if it's okay to do it? Do you know when it's okay to do it? Right? How do you grow in it? How do you spot a fake? Are you a fake? You know, All these questions, to say the least, as we go through this series on controversy, this fits firmly in the series, okay? Can I just say that? Probably nothing has been more controversial and split more churches than how a church handles the spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit and His activity today. Alright? I'm very well aware of that. The last two weeks we've been working on the gospel, the heart of the gospel really, which has been the cross... In the empty tomb. The next few weeks, I want to talk about what that means for us as a reality. Now it's a reality. How does it reorder our lives? How does it reorient our lives? How does it change our posture, our heart, our attitude, our priorities, all of that? Spiritual gifts is in there. Spiritual gifts is part of this. It's part of the reality. This week, well, I'll just give you the rundown. This week, I want to deal with our heart's response to it. I'm going to be real general. I'm going to broad stroke. I'm going to shotgun it. Okay? I want to hit a few things, but I do want to hit them hard. It will be controversial. Okay? Feel free to text in questions. See, Charlie's already, she's already upset. She's already leaving. 
<laughs> I'm just playing. Um, feel free to text in questions as you get them. Um, we will answer them. I promise you won't feel ripped off. This week I'm just going to be real general with it. Mostly with our heart's attitude. By the way, are the questions helping? The Q&A? Just give me a quick show of hands. Is that helping? You guys are enjoying that? No? Yeah? Okay, raise your hand if you really think so. Okay, okay, alright. That's about 50%. Alright. Um, next week... I'm going to go from shotgunning it to being a little bit more specific. And I want to talk about these gifts individually. Could you have it? How would you know? Where does it point to God? Where does it point to Christ? How does it work with us as believers? How could we use it as a church? And yes, I will talk about tongues. And yes, I will talk about prophecy. And for a lot of you, it will be the very first time you've ever heard it taught on. I know that for a fact. I made it almost 10 years without ever hearing about it. Okay? So... I know what you're thinking right now. I know it. It's a great week to bring a friend. Great week to bring a friend. I'm glad I brought a friend this week. Next week you don't count on it. But let me tell you, everything we do points to Jesus and the cross. Everything we do is going to have a gospel road. You'll have one today, I promise. Okay. So why are we doing this now? Why gifts? Well, A, they're controversial. We are going through a series on controversy. Not because we're trying to be provocative, but because the things we believe as doctrine are controversial, both externally and internally. This is big time one of them. Another reason is because this is very confusing, is it not? Don't really know what we want to know. And there's a lot of voices on it from a lot of different directions. Okay? Just so you know, I do have copious notes on this. Our church's position is about 15 pages typed, and it's got all the details. So if you want that, it's for you. You can email me, my email, that's that info will get it to you. Our card's on the table. Um, I will zip it to you as quick as you want it. Um, we, we do have a position on this as a church. We'll touch on it today. Um, I will have a lot of patience with you and your questions. Um, because I remember how much patience I needed when I had a lot of questions. I just ask that you have a lot of patience for me as I try to teach it in a week, two weeks. All right, This is something that could take three months, easy. Um, and I feel like I should say this too. It is okay to disagree with us on this. It is. It's okay to disagree with Legacy Church and still grow with Legacy Church. Does that sound odd? All we ask is for there not to be a divisive spirit. Your theology will change. Mine doesn't look like it did five years ago. There will be things that you think that's never going to change. You watch it, it just might. It just might. We want to allow room for that. You don't have to believe everything Luke believes. You don't have to believe everything Chase believes in order to grow with us. You can be a covenant member and partner with us and totally disagree on what I'm about to say for the next two weeks. You can do that. We just ask that you not be divisive. That's the only thing we put on it. The only probe is so. Okay? So... Getting into it as fast as I can. When I gave the story of Coco, that's not her real name, but if I told you the real name, you'd freak out even more. Okay? Every one of you had a differing response in your heart. Every one of you had a response in your heart. Some of you, like me, cringed. Ugh. You had that moment. Ugh. You tried to put yourself in my shoes. A little bit of you died inside with me. You could feel my pain. The alarm's going off. Right? Some of you were there. Some of you were trying to figure out when exactly the story was going to get weird. I don't see the problem. When's it supposed to get weird? I, I like prophecies. The gooier the better. You know, bring it on. It's interesting how the more I learn about people, how we do spread out over spectrums. At far ends of the spectrum. And it's usually always overbalanced. We're a people of overbalance. We're a people of overreaction. Someone's always too weepy or not weepy enough. 
too strong, not strong enough, right? We always see that. Spiritual gifts is no different, right? The only person that was perfectly in line is the one with no sin, which was Jesus Christ, right? He didn't quench the Holy Spirit. He didn't mock the Holy Spirit. He didn't despise gifts, right? He didn't do that, and he didn't abuse it either. He didn't dominate things with it either. He was perfectly in line always at every time, and every miracle, every beautiful thing he did pointed to God, pointed to Him. He was perfect. But the thing is, is you and me, we have sin in us. So every component of your being is corrupted and broken, right? Sexually, you are broken. Mentally, you are broken. Physically, we're broken, aren't we? We're broken in every way. There's pieces of us that are broken. When it gets to this, we swing to one camp. We can't be in the middle. I know a lot of you think, I'm right in the middle. I'm right with it. I think the same thing about gifts that Jesus does. You might, cerebrally, theologically, you might. I'm going to push on some buttons and we're going to see how fast your heart chases after it. You might find yourself towards one end of the pole. We're going to talk about two poles here in a minute. Okay? So, nothing new under the sun. This spectrum, people on one side, people on the other. Paul had to deal with the same thing. We see two churches that Paul spoke to regarding spiritual gifts. One was Corinth, the other was Thessalonica. You can see it in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to talk about both of their responses to the Holy Spirit. Okay, You're going to find yourself in one of these cities. You'll either be, more likely, a Thessalonian or a Corinthian. Some of you will be both. Now that sounds confusing. Some of you will be both. I find myself to be in both. Right? I have taught this from both ends of the spectrum. Feel confident in this. If there's any doctrine I feel like I know backwards and forwards, it's pneumatology or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I do feel confident because I've taught it from both ends. Alright? There's actually still recordings of me teaching this incorrectly, I, I hate to say. But I want to start in with the Church of Corinth. Some of you are firmly there. You're a Corinthian of heart. Your heart is Corinthian, right? Now, Paul dealt with this church, and he got real stern with them. Did he not? Chapters devoted to it. They dominated each other with the gifts. They spoke over each other. They faked it. They let things like prophecy and tongues totally dominate so that even the gospel itself was pushed out. They weirded out lost people. It was strange for folks. People were coming. They didn't know what was going on. They never even heard the gospel preached. It was this echelon system where the most gifted was the holiest and the most mature. And they started a rank system, basically. You saw abuse. Let's just use that as a word. Abuse. And Paul spoke to it in 1 Corinthians 14, 20. Do you have that? Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. If you go back of a chapter into 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 4. He also says this. You guys have heard this so many times. Love is patient and kind, does not boast or envy, arrogant, rude. He goes on. Y'all have heard this in the term of marriage or weddings. It's, it, it works there. It's okay to use it there. It's taking it out of context, however. This is talking about the gifts. All right? What is Paul saying as he, as he talks to people, as he's talking to the Corinthian church? He's saying, first of all, stop being immature babies. Stop being immature babies. You guys got all the gifting and you've got no maturity. Quit being babies. Be more kind. Be more patient. Stop bragging. Stop being stuck up. Stop being rude. Be more long-suffering. 
Stop resenting people. He's talking about gifts. He's talking about how they handled the gifts. They were trying to edify themselves and elevate themselves instead of the one who gave them such gift, right? They are demoting the person of God, but they were promoting the gifts of God. That's what was happening. Now, mankind hasn't changed very much. In fact, it hasn't changed at all. We can all tend to be Corinthians. Some of us are we're card-carrying members, right? I was for a long time. A long time. We could chase after the gifts a little bit harder and with more intensity than we chase after the very heart of God. His very heartbeat. We can still use gifts to make ourselves feel more comfortable, more elite, and more mature. And when we look across a landscape of Christians who either don't believe in the gifts, or they struggle with which one they have, or they struggle on how to exercise it, what do we do? We look at them as if they're immature. Maybe they'll get more faith someday. Maybe they'll grow up someday. Maybe they'll understand like me someday. And it sets up a dividing line right down the middle of the church. It's very unhealthy. We could take Coco's situations, place Coco up on a stand, say she's the person, she's got it figured out, she needs to lead this thing, and then you end up envying and coveting that gift because of how it's making her look instead of how it's making God look. It's a big problem. Now, Thessalonica had a different problem. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22. He says this to them, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now listen, not every Thessalonian quenched the Spirit, just like every Corinthian most likely did not abuse the Spirit. Okay? We know that. But there were people abusing God, but from a different foxhole. Thessalonians were still abusing the Spirit of God. They're still abusing the gifts. They're just doing it differently. They're quenching. They're mocking. They're despising. I mean, they might not be one-upping, one-upping each other or grabbing for reputation, but they're just shutting something down. And I don't know why they did it. It's speculation to what was going on. Maybe it just looked a little weird, right? Maybe it looked a little embarrassing in a service. Um, maybe they couldn't catalog it in their head, explain it, box it, control it. I don't know. Maybe it was getting to look a little bit like Corinth. And the leaders were like, you know what? Nothing. Done. We're done. We're done with that. It's gone. And they quenched it. Coco would not have been invited back to this church. We can say that to say the least, right? Now, mankind, once again, has not changed at all. We can still find ourselves living in Thessalonica. We can still have that heart about us. Now, let me just tell you right now, this is where I'm at. This is the camp I find myself in. I'm not saying this is the church's position. I'm saying this is where my flesh is. On a bad day, on some good days, this is where I find my attitude towards the Holy Spirit. Okay? We can still be ashamed and embarrassed of something that God has given as a very beautiful gift. Remember, God is the one who gives these things. It was His idea. It's not our idea. Man did not make up tongues. Man did not make up prophecy. Those were God's original ideas. Okay? He appoints and He apportions who gets those gifts, how deep they come, and how many they have. That is all totally up to Him. 
Okay? So if you ever have a pastor say, I have this gift and I want to impart this gift to you. If you want this gift, come up and I'll pray for you. Don't believe it. He doesn't have the power. He doesn't even have the credibility to do that. That is something God does and God does alone. Okay? He apportions. Calls him the appointer. But sometimes we can be embarrassed of him. And ashamed a little bit. Like we want to take it back. Like it's a weird gift. Like a weird sweater at Christmas. We want to re-gift it or take it back to the store. Because it's embarrassing and we're never really going to use it. So we're just going to give it back. That's how we can feel about the gifts. And man, if we run into somebody else who moves real freely in them, I'll tell you as a fellow Thessalonian, we're really quick to throw water on it. We're really quick to find something wrong with the story. Well, that baby was healed, huh? Let me ask you a question. Right? Oh, someone was raised from the dead? Let me guess. It wasn't in America. It was probably in some far-off country. Right? We could turn into a little bit of a critic, a little bit of an assessor. And me... I would always do it under the guise of, I'm just trying to protect the sanctity and the sanity of the church. It doesn't look healthy. It's probably not healthy for the individual. It's not healthy for the family. It's wrecking things in the church. It's done. It can't be healthy. We don't need it. We can look at this, and it could be a problem for us. We could even invent a theology, and I did. Invent a theology that will explain it away. Maybe not all of them, just the weird ones. Just the weird gifts, the miraculous ones, the strange, embarrassing ones that draw a lot of attention and we don't really know. Those can go away. But the rest of them that are normal, they can stay. And I could invent a theology that would actually make me feel better at the end of the day because I don't have to deal with the conviction of not even asking God, not even asking Him for the miraculous gifts, which He says to earnestly desire. He says to earnestly desire. It exposes me because I don't, right? We can look at this cocoa situation. I could see myself in some staff meeting in Thessalonica going, you know what? If that's how the Holy Spirit's going to do it, no. (laughs) No and no. No and no and no some more. No. It's gone. We don't need it. We just need the gospel. We just need this. We don't need the gifts. Listen, we don't need the gifts. I could see myself doing that. Jesus didn't think so, though. Jesus didn't think that we didn't need the gifts. Paul didn't think so. Paul didn't think that we didn't need the gifts. The gifts in the gospel are not mutually exclusive. The gifts point to the gospel. The gifts point to Jesus Christ. They point to God's work in mankind. They mimic it. They image it. You know, a blind person regaining sight, that's the gospel. At least pictorially before us. Deaf people getting their hearing back, it sounds a whole lot like the gospel. It should point to the gospel. Mysteries of your heart being revealed to you so that you're stricken, that should be something that points to the gospel if it's done correctly. All of these gifts should be gifts that point to Christ and Christ's work. They don't and they are not mutually exclusive. This is what Paul says in Romans 1.11. This hit me years ago. It says, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul thought it was important. Paul thought the gifts were important. Okay? Now, so to summarize, and now when I say summarize, I am oversimplifying. Alright? So if you throw any flags or ask any questions, and you're like, hey Luke, I feel like you're broad brushing it. I feel like you're generalizing. I know I am. I'm doing it on purpose. Okay? So you can throw a flag, but don't throw that one. I already know I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I don't have a lot of time, and I'm trying to hit two main groups. Okay? So have, have a little bit of love for me on that. 
When we approach the gifts of the Spirit, we usually slip into one camp. One or the other, okay? I want to look at these camps, these two cities. I want you to look at them. As we talk about it, try to find yourself in one of the cities. Are you in Corinth or are you in Thessalonica? Is that where your heart usually starts out from? I know you might get to the right place, but where does your heart start out from? Okay? And yes, you've probably already figured out where we are as a church. All right. Usually I start off with this, letting you know up front, this is what we believe as a church. Um, we do believe in the continuing influence of all of the gifts of the Spirit, miraculous and non-miraculous, except within the details and parameters within which Scripture gives us. The Bible is very detailed over when, how, and why. Okay? We follow those to a T. We do. So, listen. As we go into this, the things I promise you and your friends, I won't make you touch a snake. Alright? No tambourines will be brought. You don't have to touch a flyer, banner, streamer, a flag, anything like that. I'm not going to make you blow on a ram's horn. You don't have to wear a prayer shawl. Nothing weird is going to happen, okay? We do believe in all of the gifts of the Spirit, but because we follow some distinct parameters given to us, it protects you and it honors God. This is what we say on our website. It won't be on the screen. It says, we believe that God sovereignly distributed gifts to believers. This means that everyone doesn't have the same gift or level of gifting. We also believe that we, upon salvation, are fully baptized into the Holy Spirit and set into the body of Christ. We also do not see any specific spiritual gift as an automatic proof of the Holy Spirit, or spiritual maturity for that matter. It is our great honor as a church and adventure to exercise these spiritual gifts as God gives us grace to do it, as we do it within the parameters He has given us. That is what we believe as a church. So, jumping in, I want to look at the Corinthian heart. Today, what does that look like? I'm just going to call them this, I'm broad brushing it, hyper-charismatic. We see a hyper-charismatic within the Corinthian heart, okay? Um, I, some people say charismaniacs or charismania, I get that, that's funny, haha. <laughs> I'm just going to say hyper-charismatic because I actually like the word charismatic. We are charismatic, we're a continuationist church. But there are some that abuse it and I would put them in the hyper-category, okay? I will say, I struggle around the hyper-mystical the people that are always in the flow of the Holy Spirit, that is a struggle for me sometimes. I married one, alright? It's God's grace to me. It's by God's benefit and grace to me that I married one. She does a very good job and she exposes my bad theology really fast. Okay? I'll show you how. Because when I'm around people of a Corinthian heart, they do hunger a lot, and I thank you for this, over the big gifts of the Spirit. What it exposes is the fact that I don't. I don't. I don't ask God for the things. I don't ask God for these gifts. I want to teach better, but that's normal. You expect that. I want to be a better administrator, but man, I'm scared to death to ask God for the gift of tongues because He might give it to me. He might give it to me. And there's a hunger in the mystical people that, that shame my lack of hunger. And for that, I'm ashamed. Yet I've seen a lot of abuse. Not on dozens, not on twenties, on hundreds of occasions I've seen this abused. Hundreds of occasions. Okay? This isn't to say that God was not involved in any or all of those occasions. It's just to say that they did not stick within the parameters that the Bible gives us. Okay? So I want to address you if you're given to this end of the scale. If you slip a little bit more and start from that end of the scale. I want to try to minister to you a little bit and then I want to provoke your heart to repent if you're guilty of some things at the same time. Okay? First of all, let me just say this. You are not valued by your gifting 
any more than you're valued by your performance. This is the gospel road for you. You are not valued by your level of gifting any more than you are valued before God on your level of performance. Okay? Corinth screwed this up. It was the, the most gifted people. Well, my goodness, they must be the most mature. They must be the ones most approved. Who does God love more except for the one with ten gifts? What does that say for me? I don't speak in tongues. What does that say? For, I've only got one gift. What does that say for me? It says that you are just as valued. What you have to understand is when it comes to gifts giving and gifts given that will make you feel valued, the only gift that matters in making you feel valued is the one given to us in Christ. The rescuer comes to us as the ultimate gift. That is what gives birth to your value. That is what gives you worth. That is what brings smile upon your countenance. That is what points grace towards you. Not because you have ten gifts. Not because you speak in tongues more than anybody else. Not because you have dreams. Not because you're a great leader. Not because you're a great encourager or have words of wisdom or knowledge or you can heal. That does not make you more approved. A Corinthian can think so sometimes. Okay? It all becomes this wash cycle of trying to work and intensify our giftings. Why? To be more approved, to have more worth. Let me just tell you a little secret. That person with the ten gifts, more than you, whatever that person is, they might not be as mature as you are. And they're definitely not any more loved than you are. Okay? They're not. This is tough. I say this as something like I'm talking down to you. I am not the greatest speaker in the world. I'm, I don't even think I am. Okay, so at least feel comfortable in the fact that I don't think I've arrived. I know I've not. I know there's some men out there that will just, I mean, they just open up a service and people are weeping. I mean, there are some great speakers out there. But because their gift of speaking is way up off the charts, they are not more loved, approved, or gauged higher by God in His eyes than I am. And I have to tell myself, now I have to preach that to myself a lot. I do. I don't take that for granted. That's difficult. You don't take it for granted either. That's what Paul says. He says, what do you have that you didn't receive? What do you have that wasn't given to you? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't? So speaking in tongues, not a sign of maturity. Not healing, not a sign of maturity. Speaking, not a sign of maturity. It's not. It's a sign of gifting. Those are two totally different things. Okay? Corinth was gifted. They were not mature. Right? So, let me minister a little bit deeper on you, if I can. Some of you have been in places, if, like me, you've grown up in some charismatic circles, or come through one. You might have been made to feel like you did not, I don't know, you have not arrived, or hatched, or evolved enough as a Christian, because you did not feel the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. You might be a Christian, but you've not been baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe that's because you didn't have enough faith or whatever. So you always walk around, you feel like a, a have-not in a room full of haves. You feel like a, a Christian, but a little bit like a sub-Christian. You know what I'm saying? Some of you have grown up in that. Made to feel like, my gosh, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me that I don't have what everybody else has? I mean, I want to get baptized again, but it's just not working. That Holy Spirit just doesn't come. I don't even know what it's supposed to look like. Am I supposed to do something? What's wrong with me? It's been torment for some of you. Can I just say something? There is no second baptism. I know I'm pushing on a cow right now. That's fine. There is no second baptism. You are baptized with fire, and you are baptized by the power, the full power of the Holy Spirit, when you were saved. 
when you are saved. There is no second occurrence. All right? It's not some deal where you get a little down payment, a little earnest payment, and then whenever you get your faith real high, then you get baptized in the Holy Spirit and probably speak in tongues. That's a bad teaching. That's just a bad teaching. You get a down payment of the Holy Spirit, for sure, when you're saved. The fullness, the rest of the payment comes when you're in God's presence, when the end of all ends has come. That's what it's talking about. There is no second occurrence. Where do I get this? 1 Corinthians 12.13 is a big help for me. Can you pull that up there? It says this, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Okay, stop right there. So baptized into one body. What is that talking about? Body? It's talking about the church. Who are you if you're baptized into the church? You're a Christian. It's talking about Christians. You're a Christian. For in one spirit we are all made Christians or baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free... And all were made to drink of one spirit. There's no talk in the Bible about a partial thing given, a little bit of this given, a little bit of that given, and getting your faith up for something bigger. I do know the theology of where they come from on that. I used to teach it. So if you have questions on that and why I believe that we have one, you ask away. It's not that difficult, okay? I just don't have time to really drop an anchor right now on that. I have spoken with Christians who have grown up. And because they did not speak in tongues at a second baptismal occurrence, they have always felt weird and they've never felt comfortable. They've always felt like something was internally wrong with them. And leaders haven't really helped there either, have they? Making you feel like you just needed more of something. And you're like, I don't even know how to get more. I'm trying. I'm just trying. Am I there yet? Am I there yet? Week after week after week. Chasing after a gift validates God's love. The cross validates God's love for you. It's the cross, okay? Let me provoke you a little bit. Love needs to be the rudder in your gifting. It needs to be all about love. I can't say this enough. I wished I had more time to preach here. I don't. It says this in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I believe verse 1. Pull that up. I think we're on the same page. Yeah. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so even as to remove a mountain, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is talking about how useless your gifts are if they're not empowered by love. How useless they are. You might be, you might be the most gifted person in the room. And because you don't have any love empowering it, you're a clanging symbol. Ugh. Discord, chaos, hurt, pain. That's all it's producing. This is what Paul got a... I mean, this is what he gave them a whooping for. They were gifted. They're incredibly immature. Right? Babies. Dominating each other. Speaking. Faking. Being weird. Let me ask you. When you... When you were operating within your spiritual gift... Is it a mirror reflecting God's glory and pointing to Him? Or are you a sponge and you're just drawing all the glory yourself? Because let me tell you, I I ask that question like I'm supposed to ask it, like I got this off the internet or something. It is easy to do that. Whenever you all of a sudden become one of the more gifted people in the room, it feels good to have people tell you how gifted you are. And how much they appreciate and are encouraged by your ministry. It's intoxicating. It draws you in. And then you get a reputation for it. Instead of God getting the reputation. It's difficult. Now, when you are measuring your value and your very own worth and stature, do you look at your gifting? Do you compare yourself to others and their gifting? 
These are questions that you need to ask yourself if you're not quite sure you're a Corinthian. Okay? How about this? When those around you don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, do you judge them? Are you critical? Do you assess them? Do you look down your nose at how immature they are? Could you listen to Coco prophesy and not envy and covet for the wrong reasons? Could you celebrate God's gift in prophecy through something like that? Talk about the Thessalonians for a minute. Just for a minute. I equally struggle around those with a Thessalonian heart, yet I am one. That's the problem. (laughs) I am one. I am a Thessalonian. I understand their concerns very well. I feel like I do. I've seen a lot of abuse over the years. Today, today, let me tell you what this camp would be. Now, I'm broad-stroking it once again. I'm shotgunning this. I get it. These would be what we would call in the Christian church cessationists or cessationism. All right. Now, there's different flavors of it, but the general idea is behind cessationism is that the gifts of the Spirit, particularly the revelatory miraculous ones, have ceased They're no longer normative, operative, or routine for today. Okay? This either happened whenever the Word of God was canonized, New Testament finished, or whenever the apostles died, depending on which flavor you follow in cessationism. Okay? Now, one of the key arguments behind this, because I feel like this is where a lot of Knoxville is at. Okay? So I do do want to speak to this. One of the key arguments is behind this verse in 1 Corinthians 13.10. Can you pull that up, Matt? This is Paul talking to this church. And he says, love... Do you have 8, verse 8? I didn't give you 8, did I? Okay. Love never ends. Okay? Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. As a church, now let me just tell you, the cessationists believe, they believe that when it says the perfect, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. They believe the perfect means the Bible being finished, the New Testament being encapsulated and called finished. Okay? In fact, the Word of God is perfect. I wouldn't disagree with them there. I would disagree and say that is not the t- that's not the text. That's not the context in what this is talking about. That is not what the perfect means. As a church, we believe the perfect coming and the partial passing away means when we are in God's presence. It means when we are firmly staring at God as we are created before our Creator. Alright? That's the only way I can even make sense of this passage. That's the only way I can even understand what it's saying. Because for sure, prophecies will cease then. We won't need them, will we? We won't need prophecies. What do you think God thinks about this? I don't know. Let's go ask Him. You know? You don't need man mediating to you what God is saying. You're right there before Him. Ask Him. Ask Him. You won't need healing anymore. Why? No sin. No disease. No sickness. No wrinkles. No bad hip. No, no nearsightedness. Nothing. It's gone. Right? No tongues. Why don't you need tongues anymore? Everyone's going to speak the same language. No interpretation needed. We're all on the same page as far as that's concerned. Knowledge. Will we need knowledge anymore? Nope. Not a gift for it. Don't need a gift of knowledge anymore. Why? Because we will know as we are fully known. 
This is what Richard Pratt says, a brilliant theologian. He says, the gifts do not disappear, imperfect knowledge disappears. The gifts don't disappear, imperfect knowledge disappears. Or imperfect understanding. Christians will put the gifts behind them when their need for gifts is gone. Now, God has been good to me over the years by exposing and mending my heart here. Okay? Many of you, like me, have struggled with the gifts of the Holy Spirit because I can't explain them. I can't control them. I can't list them. I can't confine them. They get sloppy. They start coloring out of bounds. They exceed my understanding. They make me feel uncomfortable. Right? And if, you're, and if that's you, you're right. It is uncontrollable. It does at times color outside of the lines. It is hard to understand. It's very hard to catalog. It's very hard to control. It's difficult. Alright? Some of you feel like it can be abused and contrived and no one will know. That dude can just get up and say whatever he wants. And who are we to know? You're right. That guy can and some dudes do. Alright? It can be contrived. It can be made up. That's, that's correct too. There's a piece of me if I'm being honest, that wants to stop it all in order to protect you. In order to protect you, I want to stop it all. I want to say, I don't want any cocoa situations. I don't want any of that. I don't want any weirdness going on. I just want the gospel to be preeminent. Okay? Like, like they fight each other. Like God's gospel and God's gifts are at, at odds with each other in some way. I'll tell myself, it's not good for the church. It's not good for the gospel. Especially when you look at all the weird stories out there. Flip on the TV, if you dare, and turn to any Christian station and and tell me it's not weird sometimes. Tell me that whenever your friend walks in the room, you don't flip the channel. Right? (laughs) It's the way it is. I don't feel any different. It can be weird sometimes. So, for you, let me first thank you. Let me first thank you for your heart to protect. For your heart to serve and protect and keep something beautiful, beautiful. But let me submit to you. Let me just submit to you this, that these gifts were God's idea. They point to Him. Right? He's not intimidated by by charlatans and fakes. He's not intimidated by that. When He gave us, when He wrote down the gifts, when He listed them all out, He knew it was going to be abused. He knew that people were going to take it crazy. There's no abuse today that God did not see coming. Right? In fact, Paul, he's talking to this church, Corinth, and they're screwing everything up. They're getting crazy. I mean, just read through it. You can, I mean, the list of offenses is just, it's just crazy how many offenses there are on the abuse side. You would have thought, if any church in the Bible, Paul would have said, Oh, you guys in Corinth? <laughs> yeah, you're done. You're done. The gifts? Nuh-uh. No way. No, he doesn't do that. What does he say? Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I'd have been on the receiving end of that. If I was a Thessalonian in Corinth, I'd have been like, are you kidding me? Paul, you said the wrong thing. Paul, you said the wrong thing. It's just going to get crazier around here. Paul didn't want it to get crazier. He wanted it to get fixed. He wanted it to get corrected. He wanted it to correctly direct people to the gospel. That's what he wanted. You know, we're so quick as people to abolish things that get abused, aren't we? We abolish it. Gifts are abused, done. But we don't do that with other things. I miss it up here all the time preaching to you guys. There are times I go home and I'm like, oh, I miss that. Oh, I totally miss that. But you guys don't abolish me. You especially don't abolish preaching in general. Right? We abuse fellowship all the time. We use our friends. We use fellowship, but we don't abolish it, do we? 
No. We abuse food. We don't abolish it. We abuse women. We don't abolish them. We abuse beer and alcohol. We don't abolish it. We don't, so many times in life we abuse things and yet we don't abolish when we get to spiritual gifts. It's gone. It's gone. And I get it. I get it. I'm with you. I promise. Thessalonica, they wanted to just cut it all out. Paul warned them sternly, do not do that. Do not do that. Do not quench it. Don't quench it. That word for quench, <laughs> it means don't throw water on the fire. It's the, that's the language. That's, that's the picture it's pointing. Not to stop or cease fervent activity. Okay? Now, the gospel for you and for me, as a matter of fact, is God is better at defining and giving gifts than we are. He is. What gift did we not abuse? We abused Christ. The very first gift, the preeminent gift to us. Yeah, we abused Him. And we hung Him. Right? We abused the Bible. All the time. Some of us without even knowing it. Right? We abused the Bible. Yet it's living and it's breathing for our sake. Right? In the midst of my heaviest abuse towards Christ, He rescues me. Right? We cannot let abuse of some Christians affect our theology. Now, I want to ask you some questions if you find yourself more firmly rooted like me in this camp. Do you hunger for God's gifts to bless others and point to His fame, even if it's a gift that might embarrass you? Even if it's a gift that comes with a little bit of social weirdness, I'll say. Right? Do you do that? If I were to ask you right now what your spiritual gift is, could you even tell me? Some of us haven't even looked into it at all. I was talking to my son on the way up here. He, I was a little shocked. He's like, I don't know. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I'm like, well, it's easy for me to see. So I'm starting to talk to him about what his gifts are, what his spiritual gift is. Do you look at mystical charismatics around you and judge them? I did. That's easy to do, by the way. They don't have the greatest spokesman on TV. So it's easy to do that. Do you catch yourself doing that? When you hear of a miraculous story... And I mean way out there, miraculous, crazy. Do you immediately thank God and celebrate His gift to us? Or do you immediately start looking for flaws in the story? Do you immediately start being a doubter even before you've celebrated what it could be? Do you do that? Could you even hear from Coco? Could you hear from Coco and bless God? Or would you just discount it like I did? Right? God gave gifts to men so that we use them in culture and in community. It points to and it glorifies God. Every time Jesus healed, prophesied, did a miracle, every time He did something like that, it pointed to Him, it pointed to His Father. We are to do the same when we use the gifts. It's supposed to image and echo and and look like what He did. If you're using your spiritual gifts and you don't look like Jesus Christ, you're probably doing it wrong. You're probably doing it wrong. And we'll get into that next week a little bit, right? What gifts you might have. Some of you have always wondered. We're going to talk about that. We're going to hit them a little bit harder individually. But one way the gifts are beautiful for us today is we bring them into community and we contribute. We don't just bring our finances. We don't just bring our shining personalities. We don't just bring our warm bodies into a room. We bring our giftings into a room. You pour your lives into others. They pour your life into you. That's what I like about Paul. Who's going who's to really teach Paul anything? I mean, who's really going to contribute to Paul, right? I mean, he's Paul. 
But he says, I can't wait to get there with you guys and just impart a gift to you. I can't wait to do that, that we might mutually be encouraged. That you might encourage me too. Then everybody grow up and everyone wins. That's what he's saying. Now, there is a long, and I'm not going to go into it because of lack of time. I wish I had time. There is a long picture that Paul paints for us in 1 Corinthians where he talks about the body, the human body. And he says we're all different parts of a body. And we only make sense if we're all fitting together in the right proportion. If you want to be an eyeball so bad, the body's going to stop making sense because no one's going to be able to hear. It's just a big pile of eyeballs or a big pile of ankles or whatever. You know? It doesn't make sense. And you're only as strong as the weakest part of your body. So celebrate all the parts of the body. So he goes into this beautiful thing. You can actually get quite a bit of wisdom out of that little passage. But he cliff notes it. He cliff notes it for us later in Romans. And he says this real fast in Romans 12.4. Do you have that? He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. This understanding, I'll tell you, it confronts the Corinthians, it confronts the Thessalonians, and it confronts me. It confronts me. We need each other to act within the gifts God has given, within the parameters He's given us, so that we could be a stronger church, better equipped church, and we could point to Jesus better. That's the goal. That's the win. That's the end zone for us. So to the Corinthians, I'm finishing here. To the Corinthians, this is what I would say. This is what Paul would say. Care for one another. Stop being babies and love one another. You're not valued by your gifting. You're valued by God's gift to you. Right? He's saying just because you're gifted, it doesn't mean you're mature. This is what he's saying to you. He says, try looking like Jesus whenever you use your spiritual gift. This is what Paul is saying to you. This is what he's saying to Corinth. What is he saying to you if you're a Thessalonian? He said, God is creating a body with beautiful parts that all fit together. They all fit together. He composed the body, it says. The body doesn't... I mean, the gifts don't stop when the body starts growing bigger... The gifts stop when the body doesn't grow anymore. When we're totally glorified. Think of it that way. Why would the gifts stop when the body is just getting bigger and stronger and spreading across the globe? That's when we need it most. We need it more now than we ever needed it. The gifts didn't stop because it didn't, the apostles didn't need it anymore to validate their ministry. We need it today. We need it today. Okay. To the unbelieving it says this. To the unbelieving, some of you are here and you're like, whatever, I don't even know, man. I mean, I just, I don't ever really come to church. I'm just barely here and something about gifting and I'm kind of barely hanging on. Listen, God has assembled a body with fitting parts to be his bride. And I know it looks like the bride of Frankenstein sometimes. It does, because it's got weird parts fitting weirdly, you know, and the stitching's all off. (laughs) But the fact is, is he's in love with this bride. He's passionately in love with this bride. Okay, You have probably felt like, I have something to contribute. I have a gift to give. I have something to invest in the larger whole. You might think like that. You you probably, and I guarantee you do have something. But let me tell you, a spiritual gift is not a talent. A talent is something that everybody has. Whether you're lost or whether you're saved, people have talents. You know? I could do card tricks. I don't know if all of you knew that. I could do card tricks. It's just a talent. I wasn't even born with that. I like got a DVD and learned how to do it, right? But it's a talent. 
It's not a spiritual gift. Some of you grew up with a certain personality that made you good at things. That's a personality. That's not a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is of the Spirit. It comes from the Spirit and letting you do things that you could not do. Things that you could never do. The very first, a good example of this, I was so scared in groups of people all up until I was about 21 years of age. Brand new Christian, a month old in the Lord. I mean, I didn't know anything. I didn't know up from down. I didn't even have a Bible, right? So I'm just a brand new baby dude. Just a brand new baby Christian. Scared to death to even speak up in class. I just wouldn't even raise my hand. Just timid, timid, passive. That's how I was. I showed up at this outreach, right? Dude gets up and speaks. There's like two, 3,000 kids out there. Most of them lost. Most of them very far from God. He starts preaching the gospel. He says, you know what? I want you to hear from a friend of mine. He just got saved. It's Luke. Luke, come on up here and get the mic. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Because you can't, you can't not go up and get the mic. Then you look like a troll. So you have to go up and get the mic and speak. But at the same time, I've got nothing to say. I've got nothing to say. I'm not talented for this. My personality isn't sent for this, right? I get up, I grab the mic, boom. I can't explain it. I've never stopped. I've never stopped. I have never stopped preaching since that day. Is that a talent of mine? No, it's not. It's a spiritual gift. I'm not better than everybody else. I'm not more mature than everybody else. It's just a gift. I didn't even ask for it, to be totally honest with you. It's just a gift, okay? So... If you're lost and you're here, and you want to contribute, the reason that's been difficult is because you don't have things of the Spirit in you. You're not a spiritual being. What you want to focus on is not the gifts that you can contribute, but the gift that was contributed to you. The gift that was given to you, and a walking, living, dying, and then living again Lord, right? That rescues you out of your sleeves, regardless of your your performance and your actions, just because He simply loves you. Because of grace abounding on you. Okay? That is the gift. That is the only gift that's important. That is it. The rest just comes without you even asking for it. It just comes. Okay? That is the gift I want you to focus on. That is the one that makes the difference between living in the presence of God where there is no prophecy, knowledge, tongues, healing, and you never ever tasting or experiencing that presence of God. That's what makes the difference. Not just a bunch of gifts. The gift. The gift in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense?